Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Peringer. Please take your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter 1. I'll read uh, part of that in just a little bit. Um, If you have a goal in mind, you have somewhere where you want to improve yourself, you put yourself through some training and some preparation in order to improve yourself in those areas. You know, uh, athletes, they prepare and train their bodies for their sport. Musicians, they prepare and train uh, their, their, their voice, maybe. They train and learning their instruments well in order to play. You know, we preachers, I guess there's training we can put ourselves through. Uh, you know, but one, one tool is my voice. I could use a little training there. I sound a little rough this week, just having a, having a few uh, throat problems the past week and a half. Uh, but we'll make it through. But another tool that I have to use is my mind. And so sometimes I like to keep my mind sharp. So I got this app. You know, there's an app for everything. And so I got this app to try and make my mind sharp. So I got this app called Elevate. And it, it trains your mind so that, you know, you don't lose your mind or any more than you may have already lost it, in my case. What it does is it, it, it gives you these different activities. I mean, I guess you could call them games. But it gives you these activities that are supposed to help you maintain and improve your mind in five areas. Um, reading, writing, math, speaking. What's the other one? Memory! That's it. Well, as you can tell, my reading and writing and math and speaking, you know, they're up there. My memory, down here. That's for sure. So I need to do a little bit more training in that area if I'm going to get any better with my memory. How do we Christians grow? Well, we kind of go through a training as well. I mean, there is a preparation that we go through. Yes, there's the spiritual disciplines that we do in our lives, but there's another way that God prepares and trains us. And sometimes it's not, you know, a very comfortable process at that. I mean, you you might call it that it's God's app for training, I, I suppose, except it isn't filled with games and activities and, you know, things like that. God just uses life. Our life is our training ground. Whatever is happening in your life, it's teaching you to deal biblically with things and to help you grow and to help you mature. And unfortunately, part of the training, because it's part of life, is the trials that come. Trials are part of the app we could say, I suppose. It's part of the preparation that God has in store for us so that we are growing, that we are becoming more like Christ as we go through this pilgrimage because that's what we are. That's what Peter is is pointing out to us in 1 Peter. We're studying that, that Christians are pilgrims. We're not at home here. This is not our home. We are wandering pilgrims and and peter wants to help us along in this journey on how we can live as a pilgrim 
in a way that's pleasing to God. And part of what Peter tells us in this journey of being pilgrims is that God uses trials to mature us, to perfect us, for when we finally go and meet the Lord in the day of our glorification and perfection. So what we want to take away from today is that because we are pilgrims who haven't yet gotten to our destination, God uses the trials in our life to prepare us before we get there. Now we're going to focus in on verses 6 through 12, but I really want to start in verse 3 because I want to be able to have some context of what it is that we are reading here. So I'll read verses 3 through 12 of 1 Peter 1 if you'll stand in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. Peter writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by the po God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him, though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, in inquired, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, help us to just, just know what it is with these trials that we go through and what the purpose and end is and how you do this, Lord, so that we can cooperate and we become more like our Savior Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So within this letter, Peter has said that we are elect exiles dispersed throughout the world. We've been given this wonderful gift of new life in Christ, which, is going to, which already gives us and will lead to a living hope, a spiritual inheritance, and a future glory. And we rejoice that we have those things, even though right now we do not have those things in full. We haven't received them as quite yet as much as we will in the future. But until we get to that end of the journey where those blessings are going to be received and where they're going to be realized, Peter understands that while we're still going through this pilgrimage on earth, we're going to go through various trials. And, you know, he says various trials, all sorts of trials. They could be things that we think are minor annoyances all the way to life-changing happenings and everywhere in between. But Peter tells us that God uses them, them all, whether we think they're big or small, to train us, to prepare us, 
to mature us, to grow us. How? How does that happen? Well, Peter talks about that. First, we see that trials prove us and perfect us. Trials prove us and perfect us. Now, the central focus of verse 7 is our faith, meaning our profession of faith and then the lifestyle that results from having that profession of faith. And that is the most important part of our lives. It is the most valuable part of our lives. Peter says that our faith is even more valuable and more precious than gold. There's nothing else on earth of more value than our faith. And sometimes our faith needs to be tested. He says in verse 7 that these various trials test the genuineness of our faith, and then he talks about our faith being tested by fire. We would call that being refined, the, the refinement of our faith. So, so first he mentions that these trials, they, they test the genuineness of our faith. It checks to see if our faith is the real deal. Do we really have faith without any mixture of heresy or apostasy or anything like that? Do we have the true faith? Because the idea is that those who have been given new life in Jesus Christ, when they go through a trial, it is going to show that they have believed in Jesus Christ. But if at the end of the trial, they come out of that trial and they have lost their faith, or somehow they have mixed their faith with a whole lot of error, it demonstrates that they never had the true faith to begin with. They never experienced the new life that is found in Jesus Christ. It tests the genuineness of someone's faith. You know, there's been a lot in Christian news and Christian society about the whole deconstruction movement. People are deconstructing their faith. You see all these famous Christian artists and whatnot deconstructing their faith. They think, you know, okay, this happened in my life or this happened over here, so they decide they're no longer going to believe. The trial that they went through, it didn't steal their faith. What the trial did was it revealed they didn't have faith to begin with. They had a profession of faith without having the possession of faith. And that's what trials do. They test, they prove to see if something is the real deal or if you're just merely all talk. You know, years and years ago, I, I was, I, I dabbled as an amateur coin collector. I know, whoo, exciting stuff, isn't it? Boy, I'm the real life of the party there with that one. But, you know, you collect, you collect coins. So you would hear about these people who would put these supposed rare coins on the market for these astronomical prices. Well, before someone would buy that coin, they would put that coin to the tests that they would put coins through to see if it is the coin that they were claiming it to be. Sometimes it was, and it would sell for sometimes millions of dollars. I know, one, millions of dollars for a small coin, but that's the rarity of it, I guess. But sometimes the test demonstrated 
That's not the coin you think it is. That's not it at all. And that's what trials can do to people. They test the genuineness of faith. You might not be the Christian you think you are when the trial comes. But then, you know, there's that, the other part that he talks about, the trial by fire, the test by fire. Because that, that not only proves the genuineness of faith, it's also the process of purifying, right? When you, when you refine metals, you heat it up very hot. And what happens is that the impurities and other junk that's in there, they separate from the metal, they float to the top, they're able to scoop that out, and what you're left with is pure. I mean, it is genuine, whatever that precious metal is, gold, silver, or whatnot. Through that refinement process, they get rid of all the garbage and the junk and the impurities. Well, guess what? Our lives are full of junk and garbage and impurities. And so what is God going to use to purify us? Well, sometimes he uses the trials by fire. He uses trials in our life. It perfects us and makes us more like how we are supposed to be and what he is driving us at, or driving us toward, I guess. I read a story about a, a, a woman who, who just was interested in the refinement of silver. She contacted a silversmith and and went and saw what he did. But then ultimately she, she asked him, how, how do you know when it is pure? How do you know when it's refined? How do you know when, when the process is, is, is done? How do you know when it's there? And so the, the silversmith smiled, and this was his answer. He said, oh, that's easy. I know that the silver is fully refined when I see my image in it. And that's what God does. God uses the trials of our life to perfect us, to refine us, so that he sees the image of Christ in us. But it's to our advantage that he does this. I mean, I know it doesn't sound pleasant. I know it's not like we're out there going, yes, Lord, send me trials so I'll be more like Jesus. But it's to our advantage because Peter goes on to say in verse 7 that we are proven and perfected like this so that our faith will result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus returns. Now, yes, it's so that our life would be praise and glory and honor to Jesus, but, but it's referring to our lives. It's referring to praise and glory and honor toward us so that at the end of our days, we're able to stand tall and say we had a robust faith in Christ, to the glory of God. And so God uses the trials of our life to prove us, are we genuine, and to perfect us in order to refine us. But not only that, secondly today, we see that he uses trials to focus us and to fill us. To focus us and to fill us. Verse 8 reminds us that Jesus is the love of our life and he is the central focus about everything that we do he is the love of our life he is our everything and peter says even though we you because he actually did physically see jesus but the rest of y'all including us we have never physically seen jesus with our eyes 
and yet we love him and we believe him because he is our focus. He is our everything. You know, elsewhere, Jesus calls us people who have never seen him physically, he calls us blessed. If you remember the story after his resurrection, and he showed himself to his disciples, but Thomas wasn't there. And so later on, Thomas finally came, and they said, we saw the risen Lord. And he's like, yeah, right, whatever. Well, Jesus showed himself to Thomas, and Thomas said, my Lord and my God. And this is what Jesus said to Thomas. He said, you know, you believe because you have seen. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. We are blessed. Even though we haven't yet seen Christ, we know him, we love him, we, we know that he is the center of our universe, not ourselves. And yet we do seem to get so wrapped up in our little lives, and Jesus then loses his centrality. I mean, yeah, we go to church, and yeah, we go through a whole lot of religious motion, but most of our lives is lived for self. And sometimes God uses a trial to get our focus back to where it needs to be, to get us back on track, to focus on that which is most important in our lives, and that is Jesus Christ. We're not the most important thing in our lives. Jesus is the most important thing in our lives. And so we focus on him, not ourselves. It's not all about us. You know, it makes me think about professional athletes who begin to believe their own hype. And they think that everything else around them exists for them. Their team, the sport, it revolves around them. And so then their focus becomes, well, I'm, I want to break this record and I want to run up this stat for myself. But the problem is it's to the detriment of everybody else that's around them. And sometimes they need a little reminder that they're part of something bigger. They're part of a team. And they need to refocus on being a team player so that they can win as a team. Sometimes we need to refocus and remember that, you know what, it's not about us. You know, Jesus put it like this to the church of Ephesus in the book of Revelation. You lost your first love. Your focus has come off of that which you should love the most. Because if we say we love Christ, that's where our focus would be. And sometimes we lose the focus. Sometimes we need to be refocused. And God uses trials to do that, to get us back on track. The Apostle Paul, in his writings, he would often use the image, the picture of a race. And he says, you know, you've got to keep your eyes on the prize, who is Jesus Christ. Right? If we take our eyes off of the prize, we're going to wander off the track, and no runner's going to win the race if they're not even on the track, if they leave the track. The only way to get back on track and get back in the race is to get your eyes back on the prize. And God uses trials in our life to get our eyes back on the prize, where it needs to be. But then, it's not only to focus us but he uses it to fill us because there's an outcome that we might not expect from the trials. Because if the trials strengthen our love and faith in Jesus Christ, what he says in verse 8 is we then also receive joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. 
Your trials will fill you with joy. Now that sounds like an oxymoron, but l let me try and explain what he's saying here. Because the, the, the trial itself is not the joy, but it's going to be the outcome of the trial that's going to be the joy. The joy comes from where the trial points you. Where that trial points you. If the trial brings a greater love and a greater faith in Jesus, that's where the joy comes from. I mean, we, we, we so often think that if I go through a trial in life, it's going to rob me of my joy. And you hear preachers talking about this, that, and the other thing, robbing you of your joy. Or you complain about having no joy. Here's the thing. I... I don't think it's that things will rob you of your joy because there's only one person who has control over that and that would be you. So really, you're the only one that can rob yourself of that joy if you let your circumstances do that to you. But if you consider where the trials are leading and where your life is going it fills you with joy knowing you will be with your savior and you are going to get the welcome you desire of well done and good and well done my good and faithful servant that's where the joy comes from the joy comes from that you know if if, if we if we allow circumstances to rob us of our joy, well, that means our joy was in the wrong place to begin with. My joy is found in my status. My joy is found in my money. My joy is found in my toys. My joy is found in my house, my car, my family, my this, my that, my that. So, no. Your joy is found in Jesus. That's it. And sometimes God has to use that trial to remember, to, or to remind you, this is where you get your joy this is where you can get your filling of joy it's when you love jesus and, and you believe in jesus that you're able to rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory like peter says when your focus is off of jesus well there goes the joy too when your focus is on jesus that's where you find your filling of joy you can only be filled with joy at the right source you cannot be filled with joy at any other source there's only one source to find joy I mean think of it this way I mean it's a weird kind of analogy but I, I am who I am let's say my truck is running out of gas I, I wouldn't take my truck to McDonald's and fill my tank up with french fries and then try and drive away and my truck stops working why because that's not the source of the energy for my truck if I want my truck to run, it needs fuel. Where do I find the fuel? I go to a gas station to get gas because my truck was built to run on gas. Not french fries. We were created to have our joy in Christ. I'm made for Christ. I've been born again in Christ. Where's, my, where's the source of my joy going to be? It's going to be 
in Christ, and we forget that. We forget the centrality of Christ, and we forget that he is the one alone who fills us with joy, and God uses the various trials in our life to remind us this is where our belief and, and our love belong, and, and this is where we find our joy, where we can be filled with joy. And so God uses trials to focus us and fill us. And then third and finally, God uses trials to rout us and to remind us. To rout us and remind us. Number three. Now verse nine says that we are work, what we're working toward is the obtaining of the outcome of our faith, which is the salvation of our souls. It's not just talking about, you know, when we're converted and born again, it's looking toward the ultimate outcome, which is having our souls delivered from sin, from the evil of this world, not having to deal with sin anymore, being, being in the presence of Jesus, not the presence of sin, and being glorified. That's where we are headed. And trial, God uses trials to direct our minds, to route our minds toward that, to live in light of those truths. God wants us to have a heavenly perspective. He wants us to have a, a, an eternal perspective. And so God wants us to get off of the short-term thinking. He wants us thinking long-term. He wants us thinking about what we're working toward, what our path is. We love Jesus. We believe in Jesus in the here and now, and it's moving us toward our final salvation. And that's the mindset that we have, or as Paul says, set your mind on things above, not things of the earth. Stop thinking down here. Start thinking up here. Route your mind, route your thought processes to put everything through the filter of the outcome of your love and faith in Jesus, the salvation of your souls. And then live from that perspective. Make your choices from that perspective. Let it direct your life. But too often, we just kind of put ourselves in our own little bubble. It's all about us. It's all about my plans and my dreams. And all our plans and dreams are about here on earth. And our own little accomplishments. I want to make a name for myself and, well, it's all, all about that. And so our thinking goes in that direction, and that directs all of our choices. And sometimes our thinking needs a reboot. I mean, sometimes my computer, my iPad goes all sorts of wonky, so what do I do? I need to reboot it. Sometimes our brains need a reboot. we got to reboot so we can route our minds in the right way and have that heavenly perspective. And God uses the trials for that reboot. So we get out of our own little bubble and, you know, we start thinking from that perspective. And this includes, kind of the second half of this, being reminded about how privileged we are as Christians in the day and age that we live in. What do I mean by that? So it, he goes on to say in verses like 10 through 12 that the salvation that we have received from Christ. It was, you know, it, it was something that the prophets longed to see. They wanted to see, but they didn't and, and, and couldn't. And they, 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 they wrote about it. God inspired them to write about it, but they didn't get it all. They only had bits and pieces of 
the plan. And, and so, even though God prophesied through them about these things, they didn't get its full meaning. And so they, they wondered when, you know, what, that, okay, we know there's a Messiah, but what, what's he going to do? When, when, when is this going to happen? What's the rest of the details? I mean, the pieces of the puzzle were scattered throughout all the Old Testament. So they didn't, they, they didn't get it. But now here we are. We are on this side of the cross. We have experienced the benefits of the person and events that they were prophesying about. We got to experience what they didn't. We are living in a day and age of living on this side of the cross where we can believe in Jesus Christ, we can be empowered by the Holy Spirit, and we can go out into this world as victors and do great kingdom work. Something that they did not have. And you know, he also says that the angels look upon this stuff. Because the angels look at this salvation thing and they're in awe and they wonder because they can't experience it. Right? I mean, Satan and his angels, they are not going to get saved. There is no redemption for them. And the good angels, they know that their fallen brethren, they're done for. Never going to be redeemed. And then they see their, their king, their God, their creator, step down out of heaven, become a human, and die and rise again to save these fleshly creature things down here. These people. And, and, and they just are in awe and wonder. They can't understand it. It's something they, they can never experience. And yet we can experience it and understand it. What a great privilege we have. We forget that sometimes. Because so often we take our salvation for granted. We talk about our salvation and we, we just kind of take it for, for granted. Yeah, we, we have the whole counsel of God. Yeah, yeah. Look, y'all, we have experienced the most amazing things ever to happen to anyone. We've been saved. And we have the whole counsel of God. But we barely think about it anymore. And you know what? Sometimes God sends trials into our life to have kind of the V8 moment. Like, do you honestly not understand how blessed and privileged you are? Do you not get it? Do you know how blessed your salvation is? Do you forget about how amazing salvation is? Uh, uh, remember, you don't deserve to be saved, and yet you are. How can you take that for granted? But we do, because we're human. And God sends trials to remind us how privileged we are and to, and to reroute our thinking to the, to the right thinking. Because think about this, Isaiah... Ezekiel, Jeremiah, they did not experience what we get to experience. I'm not saying they're not in heaven. But they were, they were not able to walk this earth in salvation in Christ under the power of the Holy Spirit with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit as we have it. And we have that. But sometimes we need to be reminded of that. So God uses these trials to train us, to prepare us, to get us right during this pilgrimage that that we're on. Sometimes it's easy, sometimes it's hard, but it's all for our good and for his glory. I'll close with this thought. Um, we've been watching this show on TV called Special Forces, uh, World's Toughest Test. So what this is, 
is a bunch of celebrities are going through these challenges that um, the special forces of the military use to select people. I mean, it's part of the selection process of becoming part of these special forces. I mean, if you wanted to be in special forces, this is the test that you would have to go through. And whew, they are brutal. Let's just say that I, I wouldn't even try and go through one of those things, much less all of them. And here's all these celebrities trying to go through this. Now, I have, I have to make a confession today. Here is my confession. I have to admit, I gain a little too much pleasure watching the pain and agony of snobby celebrities going through all that, all that stuff. You know, all these people who look down their noses at everybody else, and now they're in pain and agony. I, I, I get way too much pleasure out of that, but... You know what? Here's the thing. If someone had the goal of wanting to be in the special forces, this is what they would have to go through. They would have to be prepared for that test. How in the world do you begin to prepare for a test like that? I, I have no idea. I'm not going to try. Kudos to our, to our military and our special forces that do, though. Um, but guess what? We have a goal. We have something we're working toward, and we want to be prepared as well. Our goal is our glorification, our final salvation, and God is preparing us for that so that we're more mature then than we are now. And sometimes God uses trials to do it. So we just have to, we have to look at our lives as a training ground. We are in a training ground. Now the question is, Christian, are you learning the lessons that he's trying to teach you through this training? Or are you like me and you can be hard-headed sometimes? Maybe you just need to come to the altar today and ask for wisdom about the trials you're going through and what it is that, you know, he's trying to teach you through them. Maybe you just need to come to the altar and trust in God, saying, Lord, I don't know what's going on, but hey, I, I trust in you. Maybe you need to come, just come to the altar and praise God that, you know what, he, he is forming you and he is shaping you and submit yourself to that. Lord, I, I, I want to be who you want me to be. But then maybe there's some here today who haven't even begun the journey as a pilgrim because you haven't believed in Jesus Christ yet. And then when a trial happens, you have nothing, you have no solid foundation. And so I plead with you to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved today. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry on Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at KidsQuest underscore HBC. Our student ministries on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltrana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening, and God bless.